Father, we recognize that this is your word. We pray that your word would come and that you would speak by your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus, your Son. We need you, O Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you may know, it's a really important season. Really important time in the year. Because the El Paso Chihuahuas have just started playing baseball. Uh, last night they won their game 7-0. to uh, They have another game coming up soon. It's important baseball has started. Now some of you I know may not be super big baseball fans. And that's okay. But if you go to a place like Boston and you go to Fenway Park where the Red Sox play baseball, they are some of the most intense baseball fans. They have great expectations for their teams. And you may know they have this player named uh, David Ortiz. He's also known as Big Poppy because he's a, a big hitter. And when you go to a, a Red Sox game, Matt and I would go sometimes, and people are so into the game. They're watching everything that goes on. They have these great expectations and anticipations of what's going to happen. And Big Poppy steps up to the plate, and he looks at the, looks at the, the, uh, the, the pitcher. You know, he does his thing, and he kind of growls at him a little bit. And you have this anticipation. You're like, I know he's going to hit it out of the park. You just know it. And then all of a sudden, he steps up, and everybody's quiet. And then he hits it, and he hits a home run. And even my wife, who doesn't know anything about baseball, stands up, and we all scream, Oh! Hosanna, King David of the baseball diamond! You get caught up in the uh, excitement and the expectation. And then something else happens. Your pitcher comes up. This is David Price. He's one of the pitchers of the, of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, we call these bobbleheads in the old times they used to call, in the ancient Israel days, they called them uh, idols. But we, we call it a bobblehead. Um, so David Price is on the mound. And you have these great expectations. David, you're going to, one, two, three, strike, he's out. And you're going to get him out. And he does that. And you're like, yeah, David, yeah, David. And you, you kind of go, you get excited. You have these great expectations. And then all of a sudden, ball. 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 And then you walk him. You're like, no, David, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what you're supposed to do. Next batter comes up. He throws a bad pitch. And then it's a home run. And all of a sudden, you're like, no! And then it happens again. And then all of a sudden, you're like, no, David! And you get angry, and then you start booing him, and it's all, like even my wife who doesn't know baseball, he's booing, boo! <laughs> because what happens? You had these expectations, and you start doubting, I don't know if he can come through. And then you get discouraged, and then you boo him, and you say, get out of there. And that is what happened to Jesus himself when he came in on Palm Sunday. The crowds were saying, Yay! Hail, Son of David! And then all of a sudden, their expectations were not met. They started doubting, getting disappointed, and then getting angry and turning from him in rejection. And the thing is, we do the same thing. In our faith and in our life, we have all these great expectations of what God is supposed to do and how Jesus is supposed to be coming in our life. And then when that expectation isn't met, we start to doubt. 
We get disappointed. We can even get angry. And if it persists, then we can all together just walk away from the faith and walk away from our God. But this passage, Zechariah chapter 9, is telling us what to expect to give us some real expectations so that our faith may be encouraged, so that we may rejoice rightly, so that we may be excited about what He is actually doing and not have false expectations and go from doubt, discouragement, to anger, and turning away. How does He do it? Verse 9, He starts out, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, this passage happened, verse 9. Jesus, the king, came into Jerusalem. To rephrase it, he's saying, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is one who always does what is right. He is one who uh, has salvation. Another way to put it is, he is victorious in all that he does to deliver his people. How does he do it? The very next thing it says, humble and mounted on a donkey. Another way to say it is, he's, he's poor, he has no resources the way he's coming. He's coming humble, lowly. And then it it makes it specifically how he's coming lowly. It says he's coming uh, on a donkey. A little donkey. The child of a donkey. That's how humble, how lowly Jesus is coming. And the truth is that he did. That is how he came. Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem humble and lowly. Now let me tell you how it did not happen. So Jesus is coming in Jerusalem, and they climb up to the city of Bethphage, and they're hiking up the mountain of Bethphage, into the city of, of Bethphage. And, and they get to the mountain, and they're really exhausted. Jesus does not go, oh man, I got to the top of this mountain, and I see Jerusalem over there, and I am exhausted. Peter, James, John, could one of you go get me a horse or something so I can go into the city? What would be really great is if you could get me like a chariot. If you could get me a horse or a chariot, that would be great. Because um, I'm really tired and I need to go in. I want to be king. I want people to know. And then they come back and say, well, you know, Jesus, we couldn't find one. We couldn't find anything. So, But we found this donkey. But that, that's not what happened. See, Matthew says it exactly as it happened. Jesus, they're on the Mount of Olives at the city of Bethphage, overlooking Jerusalem, and he says to his disciples in Matthew 21, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to your daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of a burden. The disciples went and did exactly as Jesus had directed. Jesus knew he was the king. And he knew that this was the way he would come as the king. 
humble, and mounted on a donkey. He came doing right, and he came victoriously saving, but on a donkey. The child of a donkey, a little donkey. We, most of us know this story, that this is how he came, and we're told to rejoice about it. But is this really the way that you and I expect, expected Jesus to come? Do you expect him to have come into your life that way? See, Jesus is about to enter into the temple. Do you have this expectation that Jesus will come and could come to your life humbly and yet still no less victoriously? He didn't come all blinged out. He came humble and victoriously at the same time. See, I think some of us, if you grew up in the church for a while, you were a good person growing up. Some of you may be haunted by an exceptionally ordinary testimony. And so what ends up happening is that sometimes we start exaggerating our testimonies. You may say... I was a horrible, rebellious person. I was on the fast way to destruction and I was a murderer and I was a killer. And then at the age of five, God got a hold of my life. <laughs> I've been there. I've said that story. <laughs> the truth was, Jeff, you were, a, you were a mama's boy and you needed to repent of your own self-righteousness. That was my story. Jesus comes, oftentimes, humbly, and yet still no less victoriously. Some of you grew up in church, you were baptized and you trusted Jesus, and you can sometimes hear these other great stories of these people who have these incredible stories of Jesus coming so powerfully and victoriously, and you say, oh, but where's my story? Where's my testimony? I wish it was more dramatic than that. And you start to doubt. You start to wonder, Jesus, have you even come to me? He's about to come into the temple. You see, right after he comes into uh, the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and he destroys the money changers' tables, and he turns them over, and he kicks out the idols. But this is just the point to show that Jesus can come victoriously and uproot the idols of your life and still come humbly, quietly. He can come in the most humble of circumstances and still uproot your sin. So has the king come to you? Has Jesus come to you? How did he come? See, even if you may have had a dramatic conversion story, you may have had a dramatic story of how God has worked in your life, and we all, we, many of us have many moments when he has come powerfully. But even if you have this kind of story, there are still many moments, small things, small conversations that you had with people, things maybe your abuela told you a long time ago. All these little things were Christ leading humbly, but no yet, yet no less victoriously. And so we should rejoice in the small ways that the King has come. Rejoice at the small ways that he's been at work in your life. There's this book that has the very bold title. And this title is called Ordinary. And in this book, the author says, 
the El Paso Times, or your local news network, or CNN or Fox, whatever, pick your poison, he says, CNN will not be showing up at a church that is simply trusting God to do extraordinary things through his ordinary means of grace, delivered by ordinary servants. But God will. Week after week, these means of grace and the ordinary fellowship of the saints that nurture and guides us through our life. It may seem frail, but these are the jars that carry a great treasure, and that treasure is Christ with all of his saving benefits. You see, when we come together, we, we hear God's word, we encourage one another, we gather as the fellowship of the saints, and this may seem so weak, and yet these are the ordinary ways that Christ and all of his saving benefits come to us. Earlier in Zechariah, they are in the process of trying to build the temple. And they are overwhelmed because it seems totally impossible. And the prophet is given this word and it says, Do not despise the day of small things. This is the truth for us. Do not despise the day of small things. The way the Lord comes. The way he's building his temple. So the message continues that this is the way the king has come, humble and mounted on a donkey. He came that way. But then the passage continues in verses 10 through 13. And these verses kind of take a little bit of a shift. See, verse 9 already happened completely. It was in the past, 2,000 years ago. But verses 10 through 13 are in a way what we can kind of describe as the, the already but not yet, of the kingdom. These verses, we could say, give us an expectation of how the king is coming presently. They're true now, but they're not fully realized. One of the ways the Bible describes this reality is that of, of, uh, of birth, of birth pain. Now, I obviously have never been through birth, but I've witnessed it. And when my daughter was born and my wife was given in labor, there's a sense of, oh, my daughter's here, but not yet. But she's coming. She's here. This is the way the Bible talks about it. The, king, the kingdom is coming. The king is coming already, but not yet. So verses 10 through 11 talk about this. It says, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, in verse 10. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, you read that verse, and you may be thinking, that does not sound like today at all. And the truth is, if you read this verse and you see when he's talking about peace coming to the nations, and you, you think of geopolitical nation states right now, and that's what he's talking about, then you would understand that that is not what's going on. Because we live in a, in a day when, even this morning, Coptic Christians are uh, bombed in Egypt. We live in a day today when Syrian children are gassed this very week. How is this the, the kingdom coming right now? How is the king presently coming? But this idea, this word, the nations, 
is this idea of the ethne in the Greek Old Testament. It says the ethne, it's talking about the peoples, all of the ethnic groups of the world. This is how the king is already coming right now, is that he is coming and he is presently speaking peace to all of the ethne group, all the ethnic groups, all of the peoples of the world. This is true. He's cutting off God's people from using the war horse and the chariot, and he is speaking peace, peace to the peoples of the world the nations. And Acts shows us, if we, we, as we've been studying the book of Acts, Acts shows us how verse 10 is presently somewhat true, but yet not fully, because in the book of Acts, we see all of these peoples, all of these ethne, all of these nations, these people groups together, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus is poured out upon them, and they come to faith in Christ, and the, the whole book of Acts is telling about how from the center of Jerusalem, Standing all the way out throughout the Roman Empire to the great city of Rome with all of its people groups, all of its nations, that people are coming to faith and having trusting Jesus Christ and the church and God's kingdom is growing. Because you see, the people groups of the world, they were, they were foreigners to God. They were estranged. They were enemies to Him. But Jesus is out and about in this world, as he was in Acts, as he was in the early church, as he is today, speaking peace to people from every background, to all of the, the nations, all of the people groups. You look at the 20th century and you see uh, in China, when Mao Zedong, who was the dictator of China, he, he wanted to uproot Christianity and completely take it away and root it out and kicked out all of the foreigners and wanted to make atheism the official uh, doctrine of the, of the state of China. And we're thinking, oh no, China is going to become a completely godless and non-Christian place and there's not going to be any Christians whatsoever. And then last year, in 2016, I'm sitting at my desk in seminary in the library and my neighbor, who sits in the desk right next to me, was a Chinese pastor who was in house arrest for several years and then was finally able to come to seminary so that he could study and go back to China where there's a massive explosion of Christianity, where he can go back and pastor hundreds and hundreds of people who are coming to Christ. You know they say within the next decade that China is supposed to have the most number of Christians out of any country. Ethnic Han and other ethnic people. See, Jesus, in the midst of uh, persecution, Jesus is still speaking peace to the nations, to the people groups of the world. And so, is this what you expected? Is this how we expect Jesus to be coming and speaking peace? Sometimes we, we filter it through other sources, but this is what the scripture is saying. Jesus is speaking peace to the peoples of this world. Even while the nations plot, even while the nations rage in vain, Jesus is speaking peace to the nations. Psalm 47, I was med meditating on it this week. What we heard at the very beginning of the service is God is a great king over all the earth. And then it ends by saying, and 
all the princes of the peoples are gathering as the people of Abraham. See, all the leaders of all these ethnicities and all these people groups are coming as the people, as God's people. Because Jesus is the king right now, speaking peace. Yet not only is the world being oppressed and not as only as there oppressors in the world but we have oppressors of our own souls and Jesus is coming to us it says here rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion and in verse 11 it says as for you also you individual child of Jerusalem you individual Christian you family Jesus is coming to you. The King is coming to you. He says in verse 11, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your strongholds, O prisoners of hope. This is how He is coming to us. I don't know if you've ever been in a waterless pit. Um, There's plenty of them here in El Paso. (laughs) Little drainage ditches that are just empty. And a few weeks ago, uh, Mark Pryor took us out uh, to some of the homeless camps way over by Horizon. And we went into this arroyo, uh, this waterless drainage ditch. And uh, to go visit some of the homeless people. And Ryan and I were, were walking through this arroyo. And I don't know if you noticed this, but we're walking through the arroyo. And there's this coyote carcass that's half covered in sand and still de- decomposing. See, that's what's in the bottom of a waterless pit in these arroyos. Is that there is death. It is death and scorching death. There's no water. There's no life. It is death. There's no hope in there. This is what it feels oftentimes for us when we are oppressed by addictions. That we're stuck in this dry and waterless pit, 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 wasting away. We are oppressed by addictions. Sometimes we there's alcohol, sexual addictions, jealousy, comparisons on Facebook, and all these other things that we just compulsively are stuck to. And we're stuck in this pit oftentimes, wasting away. And the problem is that when we get into our pits of these addictions, these pits of our sin, is that we end up wanting to say, and this is the problem we say, I got myself in this hole, so I got to get myself out of this hole. I put myself in the pit, so it's up to me to get myself out. That is not what the scriptures say. That is not how Jesus is coming. See, verse 11, it says, As for you, because of the blood of my covenant, I will take you out of the waterless pit and free you. It's not, as for you also, because you did this five times, because you prayed, because you went to church well and and did lots of great things, because of that, I will get you out of the waterless pit. That's not what he says. As for you, because of my blood of the covenant, I will free you from the pit. Four days later, after Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, 
he would uh, go into the Lord's the Last Supper on that last night. And he wanted to tell his disciples about his crucifixion, about how he was going to sacrifice his life. And he says, takes this bread and says, this is my, the bread, this is my body that's broken for you. And he takes this cup, which is his, represents his blood shed out on the cross. And he says, take, take this, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, the humble king, he came and he shed his blood on the cross. His blood instead of your blood because we broke the covenant. We broke the promise with God. And it was his blood on that cross instead of ours. He went into the pit. He died. He was buried for our sin in the pit. But then you know what? He climbed out and he couldn't be held by the pit of sin. And because of this, he is the king who is presently coming and he can pull us out. And he makes us captive to hope. He won't let you fall in the pit and stay there. He pulling, he is pulling you out. He can. And this is hope. Because the King is coming to you, child of Jerusalem. Oh, Christian, He is coming to you in the midst of your, your challenges and your struggles. And yet, even though King Jesus is presently coming, He's coming right now in the world and He is at work, we still struggle. The nations still plot and rage and we long for the kingdom to fully rule to to the ends of the earth completely. And what is even maybe more particularly concerning is that, you know, that dead addict that was once us that's still in that pit seems to be a zombie that's trying to come out and grab us and pull us back in. And here's where the good news is that we can say rejoice because the king will come fully and finally. He will come fully and finally. If you notice verses 14 through 17, the way that these verses are talking is talking about something, it is language that indicates something that is future, that hasn't yet happened. Like if you look in verse 16, it says, On that day, the Lord will save them. See, in the Bible, the way whenever uh, the Bible uses the phrase, on that day, it is talking about the last day. The final day when Jesus will come back. When the King will fully come back. And notice the difference from verse 9. And the difference the way he comes in on Palm Sunday. In verse 14 it says, The Lord will appear over them, and His arrow will go forth like lightning. Not on a donkey. Verses 14 again, it continues, it says, He will sound the trumpet, and He will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south, those crazy southwest winds that blow and are really powerful. 
We know about those. He's not coming on a donkey. In verse 15 it says, The Lord of hosts will protect them. The Lord of hosts is is really, in the Hebrew, it's this idea, the Lord of heaven's armies. This is the Lord who is the head of a whole army. The Lord of heaven's hosts will protect them. The head of an army, not on a donkey. And then it says in verse 16, it continues on, For like the jewels of a crown, his people shall shine on the land. See, on that day, there will be complete justice. The king will come doing right and he will set it all aright. Everything, all wrongs will be righted. We will celebrate and we will shine. We will not struggle with sin anymore. We will be beautiful. He will be seen so much beautiful for what he is. This is talking about how the king will fully and finally come. As Psalm 47 says again, God is a great king over all the earth. And this will be fully and finally true on the day that he returns. Yeah, if you're, if you're like me, sometimes we doubt to believe this. And I'll be just completely honest with you and say that this is one of the hard things that is for me to believe. I doubt oftentimes that Jesus is coming back and that he's going to make things right. It is frankly very, it is hard. And yet, what I remember is verse 9. That Jesus did come humbly and sitting on a donkey. And because he came, the next few verses will be true. He will come back. Some of you may uh, follow The Lord of the Rings, may have read those books, watched those movies. The last book, the last movie is called uh, The Return of the King. And if you remember, if you watched the movie, read the book, there's this scene where these little pitiful, weak halflings, these hobbits, they're at the bottom of Mount Doom. And they're taking this ring of sin, this ring of destruction. And they're trying to take it all the way up to the mountain so that they can destroy it in the lava. And there's just this scene where they're on the side of the mountain and it's so pitiful. And Samwise Gamgee has to carry Frodo up to the top of the mountain. And then, if you didn't know the movie, if you didn't know the story, what ends up happening is that Frodo doesn't want to get rid of the ring. But he still gets rid of it in the most pitiful of ways. See, it was an act of pitiful weakness from a pitiful creature that ensured that the ring of destruction was destroyed. And at that moment, it was just only a matter of time before the king would be crowned, when Aragorn would become king. The rest is just, it's history. See, in in a similar way, in our life, in our situation, we live between that point when that ring was destroyed and between that moment when Aragorn is finally crowned king. 
Jesus came in humble weakness and he died a pitiful death. And this is proof that he will come again. The author of Hebrews, talking about who Jesus is, said this in chapter 1. He says, at the moment, you know, we don't see everything subjected to Jesus Christ. That's what it says. He says, but we do see Jesus, who was crowned king because of what he suffered. You see, because the king came humble and mounted on a donkey... This is proof that we know that He is going to come again, fully and finally. And this is what our hearts are longing for. This is what our great expectation is built into our hearts, is that things are not as they should be. And that there is this longing for someone to come back and make things right in the world and in our own lives. This is where our deepest expectations and longings are found. And so when we are in our lows, when you are struggling with sadness and depression and you feel just like there's just nothing can, you can't feel it. You were created with longing for more. That things are not as they should be. And you're right. And so hope in the coming King in your sin, when you find your flesh to be so weak and you want to just give in, one day you shall shine on His land. Don't give up and do not go to despair. There is hope of the coming King who will set your life right and free you from all the sins and all the addictions that still ensnare you. And in the highs of our life, when we are celebrating at the, the, the peaks of, in, of our experiences of celebration and enjoyment that we find in each other and in life, in those heights, our heart bursts wanting more and longing for more. And let this peak of what is be for you something to hope and to hold on to the hope of the coming King. So let us pray. Jesus, you came humble, lowly, and you were still victorious. Jesus, you are at work in the world right now, and we thank you for that. You're at work in your people. You are freeing us, and we are thankful for that. And Jesus, even though it is so hard for us sometimes to actually believe that you are going to come again, you're going to wipe away all of our tears, you're going to right all the wrongs, and we shall shine on your land. Help us to believe it. Give us a deep hope in the midst of all that we suffer and we go through, so that we may rejoice. And we may rejoice fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.